Well, good morning. Whether you're here in the room or at home, if you wouldn't mind bowing your heads, let's say a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, we come again today to open up your word to learn about a miracle that you performed, Jesus, a sign of your lordship in changing one man's life in the first century. And we now get to learn about, unpack, and wrestle with how that first century changed life affects our 21st century lives. So Lord, for all of us in the room here and at home and on the podcast, I pray you open up our hearts and our minds to what you will have for us. And Lord, for me, I ask you open up my lips that my mouth can bring forth your praise. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. If you know me, my name is Baron Miller. If you don't know me, still Baron Miller. Uh, been at this church for a couple years with my family, and I'm in the Navy. I'm an active duty chaplain. I'm stationed here in Columbus uh, for a few more months at least. And before I was a chaplain, I was a civilian pastor. So I've been, I've been doing ministry for quite some time, which makes this next statement I'm going to make quite awkward and a little embarrassing. Um, I'm not a gifted evangelist. I'm just not good at that. Not at least in the conventional sense. I'm not good at blindly telling people about God, people I have no relationship, people I've never met. I've never been one in, you know, in college. I didn't do the street preaching thing in the, in the square. Um, I've, I've always felt people that, that stood around with signs held up. Uh, that just wasn't scratching the itch. In particular, once I was at a Bruce Springsteen concert and somebody outside of the venue said, you know, you're basically, the boss is going to hell. To which I thought to myself, eh, he's the boss. Like, I feel, I don't know, I feel like Bruce Springsteen might have a special place in the Lord's heart. Anyway, um, I've tried to fit in throughout the course of my life into this evangelistic paradigm. I've tried, I really have. I've stood on the corner and and, and prayed over the abortion clinic. I've done street drama with teenagers in foreign countries on missionary trips. These were like clothes I tried on that just didn't fit very well on me. Um, You see, I realized in the course of my life, I'm more of an accidental evangelist. I live my life, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, I let people know I love Jesus, but I don't pursue converts in a way that makes people feel like they are projects, notches on the Christian uh, belt of evangelism. And most important for me has always been trying to listen to the Lord and see what his will is for me and others in a particular situation. I've been trying to cultivate this listening spirit with the Lord for quite some time. And I know that sounds super spiritual, Um, And so there can exist what seems like a balancing act with this evangelism piece. A balancing act uh, where there's this lifestyle component, the piece where people should actually see you live Christianly, but there's also this words bit as well. Some of it I'm doing actually right here, right now. We actually have to tell people about Jesus. And so I want to share with you a story that's going to kind of run throughout this morning where um, I, I worked out a bit of this balancing act with a guy named Dave and his daughter, Danielle. Uh, This was years ago. I was riding my bicycle home from a church I worked at, and I'd seen this guy throughout my neighborhood. I'd seen him a while, and he 
I mean, this is my poor judgments. He looked homeless. Turned out he wasn't homeless. Totally had a house. But um, he just kind of had that homeless sense about him, I guess, whatever that means. And I knew that he had a daughter. And I'd see them wandering through the neighborhood. So I pull up on my bike, and I felt this sense from the Lord, like, just talk to him. Just get to know him. So I pull up slowly, and we start chatting. And his daughter, whose name is Danielle, she was about nine at the time, was several feet ahead of us. And me and Dave just started talking. We just started talking, and we just started getting to know each other a little bit. This wasn't pushy on my part. I didn't feel like the Lord said, you got to lay your hands on him and pray for him, or I've got a plan for his life. I, I didn't feel any of that sort of direct sense. I just wanted to talk, get to know him, introduce him to who I was in the neighborhood, things like that. Now, at this point in my relationship with Dave, I realized uh, that what needs to be balanced is my zeal for God with tactful communication and somehow not make him feel like this evangelism project. He knew in the course of conversation, I was a pastor, I was a Christian, all these sorts of things. Um, I'm also realizing that the quote that we've often heard, and maybe some of you have heard it too, one that says something like, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Well, that doesn't really hold up in this situation because with Dave, all I had was words. He didn't have this purview into my life to see how exactly I lived and all of these sorts of things. All I had with him were the words. Um, We had just met but that was about to change in the second time we met. He was going to see a little more of my life. I had a dog. My wife and I visited Alaska right after we were married. My dad lived in this town called Toke. And we thought to ourselves as a young married couple, wouldn't it be great to have a dog named Toke? We did not consider the implications of yelling Toke across, say, a crowded playground with children and parents. And, and we didn't consider the recreational marijuana habit that one might infer from shouting these words across a playground. So we have this 95-pound big dog. His name is Toke. And we would walk across the bridge over the freeway from our house. And I had the, the chuck it, you know, that kind of you whip the ball, right? And I got the chuck it, and I'm rearing back, and I see Dave and Danielle. And I'm like, oh, what a great park time. Got my dog. Dave and Danielle are there. They're riding their bikes. I chuck the ball, and I'm not good at the chuck it. And I can see in the air as the ball's trajectory, and I see nine-year-old Danielle, and I see my 95-pound dog, and I realize all of this is going to collide at once. The ball bounces off Danielle's head. She crashes her bike. Toke veers off to find it. Dad is, you know, running to help her. She's kind of crying, but it's a grassy field. She's fine. She's a kid. She bounces. And, and Dave looks at me and just shakes his head, and I apologize, you know. Sorry about that, Dave. By the way, this is my dog, Toke. Um, my wife and I thought it was a good idea at the time. We were in Alaska. It's a whole story. So that was the second time I meet Dave and Danielle. Then the third time happens. Dave and Danielle... I got the chuck it, I round the corner, I see them in the playground again. This time they're not on their bikes, bikes are laying down against a tree, they're having like a little picnic-y snack thing, right? I go to chuck it, I, I don't hit them with the ball, my dog Toke decides what's more compelling in the moment is going over to their bicycles, lifting his leg, taking a pee on their bikes, instead of getting the ball. Dave looks up at me again, shakes his head, I'm like, ah, oh, so sorry, so sorry. This is, this is how my relationship with Dave and Danielle uh, progresses. And at this point, I feel that uh, I, they may be becoming more enemies than friends. <laughs> I feel like maybe my good intentions of love and Christianity are quickly becoming impositions to their health, safety, and comfort. And as silly as the scenario is becoming, I sense that God still had sort of placed 
me in their life and them in my life, and there was still some relationship to be built and some learning to occur. And so I just waited. I just kept interacting with them at the playground and the park and started just kind of, you know, getting to know them. Now let me pause with my Dave and Danielle story and get to what the Bible gives us as some examples of this concept of evangelism. There was times when whole nations were changed because people stood up for in lifestyle and spoke specifically about their faith in the Lord. Think of of, uh, Daniel, the prophet, and his three friends, right? The nation was changed. A king's heart was changed. Think of times when evangelism didn't work quite so well. Paul, this guy wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, Uh, And yet in Athens, very few people believed in his sermon and his message. Very few converts occurred. Jesus, uh, even as people were believing in him, folks still couldn't handle the hard truths in the good news that he was sharing. So it's kind of a mixed bag. Let's look at John chapter 9. If you want to open your Bibles, this is the sign that we are in this week. And trust me, this, this notion of sign the miracle, and even this concept of evangelism. It's all going to be coalescing here momentarily. Let's look at the first seven verses of John 9. As as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing At first glance, this seems like a bit of a sick joke on God's part, right? Creating lifelong blindness so that he can be glorified through a healing. In the Greek, it's written a little differently. When Jesus explains himself, it has a little more to do with be obedient in situations so that you can see opportunities that God wants you to do and you can be obedient and do stuff that you are compelled to do and called to do in those moments. It's a little different. So for our purposes... Whatever situation we encounter in life, we too can see God's work in someone's life. And when we do that which we are called to do, that's the thrust of Jesus' statement there. Simple obedience to the calling of God in our lives. That's what gets to happen. But there's something else I want to point out too. The assumption that this man's blindness was based on some sort of sin And we do this today, don't we? We assume so easily, and I do it, and I did it with Dave. We assume that people's plight is a result of, pick your reason, right? It's a result of their sin. It's a result of their bad work ethic. It's a result of their victimhood, poor choices they've made. The list can go on and on. It's as if we are still dealing with the same biases the first century did. And even further back, we see this kind of uh, stuff occur even early in Genesis, Uh, when a woman is is brought before a man pregnant, and that's a different story. 
Jesus will refer to this later as spiritual blindness, a sense that we're not seeing the bigger picture. We need to take a look, uh, or we need to take this as a warning, I think, for us here in the room and at home as well, or wherever you're listening to this, to not judge people because we don't always know their story, not unless we get to know them, not unless we get to know them. Now, back to the sign here, the very thrust of this. Jesus healing blindness, this was a signature uh, healing on his part. He's the only person that did it, especially in light of the statement he makes, I am the light of the world. He made that statement again in John chapter 8, I am light of the world. And this is where it becomes a sign. If we were to dig back into Isaiah, you might want to write these down, Isaiah 29 verse 18, Isaiah 35 5, and Isaiah 42 7 all allude to the Messiah being able to very specifically heal the blind. So we have this old prophecy coming to fulfillment, which is a clear sign pointing to Jesus as the Messiah, but not everybody gets it. Consider how amazing this next situation is. Let's look at verses 8 through 12. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes. Pause. I think it's interesting. The, the guy doesn't ever say that Jesus made mud with spit. I don't think he even knows. I think that was kind of a fun prank that Jesus did by using spit because he didn't advertise it to the guy, and the guy's just like, I don't know, he just made some mud, right? And I imagine when he's, Jesus is making the mud, the disciples are like, oh, look at what you're doing. And he's like, shh, keep it between us. It'll work, though. Trust me, it'll work. So anyway, back to the story. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud. He put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. He said, I don't know, he said. Our character, simply called the man born blind, is newly healed, and like Jesus often was, finds himself under some scrutiny. He didn't do anything wrong. He just got healed. His audience can't believe that he is different as he is because of Jesus. This is evangelism point number one. Okay, now I know some of us are really churchy and we're, we're thinking, oh, there's one point, we're probably gonna have three. I'm gonna blow past three and we're gonna get to five later. So just, you know, just buckle down. Okay, here's point number one. People have a hard time receiving the message that Jesus has changed your life. People have a hard time receiving that and I think here's why. Because people like Life change that comes from something tangible, something that can be replicated. Reading a book, taking a pill, maybe your life is different because you picked up a new Pilates routine or, I don't know, you got a stand-up desk or, or whatever's happening at the time, right? Anything that can be replicated, people like to hear about changed lives. But the Jesus experience is so personal and unique that it's different for everyone, but the constant is this. You will be different because of Jesus. Here's the second evangelism point. When it comes to Jesus, the sighted can be blind and the blind can see. Look at verses 13 through 19. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. 
Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Well, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe uh, that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We have some of the most academically trained folks of their day, the sighted, as it were, the Pharisees, who knew the prophecy, and they were totally ignorant and blind to Jesus. Then we have our once blind character who now sees both physically and spiritually he's getting there. He's on glide slope, but he's not there yet. But notice there is still some ignorance on the, on, on the man born blind's part, uh, our main character. And it's not a slight against him. It's just due to the fact that he doesn't know yet who Jesus is. He's sighted, his eyes are opened, but not fully. In part, but not whole. He just knows that he's been healed and he's not afraid to tell people about it. And this is the simplest essence of evangelism and point number three, simply sharing your story. If you want to win people for Jesus, you can try every trick in the book, but nothing is as compelling or as controversial as your own life testimony, your own story, your own sharing what God has done in your life. One of these times I go to the park to just bring the dog. Dave and Danielle are there. Danielle is uh, playing on a playground. And, uh, and Dave is sitting under a tree. And I go to talk to him, and he's kind of despondent, and I can, you know, he just doesn't look good. So I'm like, Dave, what's going on, man? So he stands up, and we're, we're standing talking now. We're not sitting, we're standing. And he, he kind of moves behind a tree because he doesn't want his daughter to see because he's about to break down and start crying. And he tells me about how he's got, like, emphysema, and he's got cancer, and his mother is sick, and she's about to die, and all these sort of things. And he's scared. He's a single dad all of these, these problems in his life. And he knows I'm a pastor, so I say, Dave, you know, do you mind if I pray for you? Do you mind if I just ask the Lord um, to just be part of your life and to just help out in some way? And he says, yeah, that'd be fine. So I asked him to, you know, there's no magic, and I said, do you mind if just put my hand on your shoulder? He says, yeah, sure. So I put my hand on Dave's shoulder, we bow our heads and we say a prayer. And then at the end, I say, Dave, do you want to say anything to God? you just want to talk to God really quick? He said, yeah. And he just said, you know, God, if you're there sort of thing, please help me out. And, you know, my life sucks and all, the, all this sort of thing. And we said, amen. Um, and that was it. That was our prayer together. By the usual evangelism standards, my time with Dave was a failure because I didn't seal the deal with this sinner's prayer. I didn't pull out my pocket Bible. We didn't read a bunch of verses from Romans. You know, it wasn't uh, with every head bowed and every eye closed, slip your hand up if you want to accept Jesus right now. But I can tell you this, I led Dave to Jesus. And that led to us having a relationship that lasted for several years to come. He and Danielle would eat holiday meals at my house uh, he came to my door and notified me when his mother died. Danielle was a regular fixture in my yard, playing with all the other neighborhood kids who were 
like had no yard boundaries. They just kind of roamed through <laughs> patches of grass. And I'll be honest, that was years ago. I have no idea where Dave is today. I just don't know. But I do know that he heard about and in many ways experienced the love of God. And that's the best thing that I can offer. There was no gimmicks. There was no other goal than me being obedient to what I felt the Lord was asking of me in that situation, just telling your story. Let's get back to the scripture, back to John. After our newly healed friend's parents testify, the church leaders take another crack at him. Look at verses 24 through 34. I think. 24 through 34. Yes, a second time. They summon the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they say. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? This guy is kind of getting a little snarky attitude here, but that's cool. I like the sarcasm. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for you, uh, or as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Then the man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a blind man. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Here's the fourth point. Point number four, evangelism, or telling your story of God and how he's changed your life, can divide people against you. Not just make you, you know, people be critical of you, but people can actually hate you. The gospel is still controversial today, and this thing, uh, the things of God are foolishness to the world. Let me just jump over real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. Listen to what Paul says. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, and this is another Isaiah statement, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. If you've been paying attention over this series of signs, miracles that Jesus did specifically in the book of John, and how they are fulfillments of ancient prophecies, um, you'll see that there is a commonality in each one of the signs. The audience never interpreted Jesus's miracles as signs of his lordship and this situation is no different at every time folks would see the miracle and be like oh that was, that was odd that was strange light bulbs were not coming on in many of these folks hearts and minds the pharisees knew of the prophecy but they refused to connect jesus to it and if all i did today was keep you in the mind of the first century religious leaders i might tickle your brain but i wouldn't encourage or shape your hearts at all that's why the part about the man and his testimony is so miraculous i believe every rocky movie is more about uh, rocky and adrian's relationship than it is about boxing and so too i believe this story is practically about evangelism theologically i think it's about the sign the miracle 
and Jesus' messiahship, his lordship being proven. But practically, I think it's about a man trying to figure out who Jesus is and how to tell people about the impact he has had on his life. Think about it. The miracle in this story is two verses long. There's 39 other verses telling us what happens before and, and, and after the two-verse miracle. And so here's how the story ends, verses 35 through 41. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he asked, or he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him, in fact. He is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Well, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we born blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Boom, mic drop, Jesus. This is the fifth point and the final one. No matter how it goes down, Jesus will be with you. We know that. No matter how fumbly or awkward like me your evangelism attempts have been in your life, Jesus will be with you. It's the only way that a screw-up like me, maybe a screw-up like you, can have any confidence in how we share the work of God in our lives. I want to close with this final little story here. I read a book years ago. It's by an author, um, a guy named Mark Parent. He was a social worker in New York City. And the book is titled Turning Stones. And he, and he articulates in it some of the, the hardest cases that he worked as a social worker in some of the more at-risk communities there. And in his book, he talks about a convent of nuns that were taking a bus tour across America. I, I don't know why, but I guess they got this you know, little vacation package. So there was one nun on the bus named Clara, Sister Clara, and he recalls um, in the story, his teacher told his third grade class about her. So he writes it in the book, and now I'm telling you the story. As Clara's on her cross-country bus tour with the other nuns from the convent, at every stop, wherever they were at, we had a gas station or a hotel or a restaurant or whatever, she would get off the bus, wander off the road, squat down in the dirt. She would lift up her habit, bend down, and with her old hands, she would scrape the dirt from around the biggest stone that she could find. Biggest stone that was actually, she was capable of lifting on her own. She would scrape the dirt out, and she would heave and hoist and pull until she could dislodge the stone, pull it from the earth, and then turn it over. And she did this all across the country. One day, one of the nuns on the bus said, why exactly do you do it, sister? Why do you turn a stone at each stop? Sister Clara said to all of the nuns, I turn a stone so that the place is different because I have been there. I turn the stones so that the place is different because I have been there. I think as Christian people, we have the same motivation for sharing our story. We have the same motivation that this man had in the first century. His life was different. He was just being an honest testifier of the work that God had done. And that is the same mission that we get to carry on in the 21st century. 
We practice our faith and we tell our story so that our places, our communities, our jobs, our schools, our families are all different because we were there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know this is a, it's challenging to consider evangelism, telling people about you, especially in light of the kind of 12 months that many of us have had. Access seems to be limited at times, and yet we can also command a a global audience with our phone devices, our social medias. But at the heart of it all, Lord, inspire us. Inspire us by the work that you did, Jesus, in one man's life and how that work went on to affect the religious leaders of the day. It challenged his his friendships. It challenged his place in the community, certainly his standing in in the, the church, as it were. Give us the 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 tact, the wisdom, the ways to balance how to share what you have done in our lives with those that you have put in our path. Give us uh, ears to hear your spirit move in a moment. And Lord, open our eyes so that we can see, not just physically sighted, but Lord, keep us as a church spiritually sighted as well so that we don't become blind. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.